Welcome to the Practicing the Way podcast, where we explore a life of apprenticeship to Jesus in the modern world. In season one, Tyler Staten, the lead pastor of Bridgetown Church, sits down with John Mark Homer, the founder of Practicing the Way, to discuss his new book, also called Practicing the Way, Be With Jesus, Become Like Jesus, Do As He Did. In our first episode, we explore what it means to apprentice under Jesus. Practicing the Way is both a message that you've carried for years, a journey that you've gone on personally. It is uh, a way or a mechanism through which you're trying to give that message away to the global church. And now it is a book, uh, words put into print. So I think it would be most helpful if we began just by defining some terms. You've obviously mm-hmm. very intentionally chosen the terms practicing the way of Jesus. Yeah. Why those terms and how do you define them? I think, you know, we start with the invitation of Jesus, which, as you know, was not to convert to a new religion called Christianity. Mm -hmm. He never used the word religion or the word Christianity. It doesn't make them bad. It just means they were not in Jesus' vocabulary. His primary invitation was come and follow me. And it was to apprentice under him into this whole new way of life that he called the kingdom of God. And he used both these words, practice and way, all over. I mean, I think in the Gospels, it's like well over 50 times. Jesus uses this word. In Greek, it's hodos. Mm -hmm. And it can be true. It means road or path or way. And it's a word picture in the same way that there's like a road that you follow to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. There is a way of life that you follow in order to apprentice under Jesus into what he called the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God, the peace, the presence of God. And this way of life takes practice. So, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, which for hundreds of years has been disputed, like, is this really like even a possible way of life for Mm -hmm. an ordinary person? What a lot of people miss is that Jesus bookends the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning and the very end, he makes a very strong statement about practice. And uh, he just assumes this way of living is going to take a lifetime of practice in community, hence the name Practicing the Way. Mm-hmm. And that term, hodos, yes. is also used in the book of Acts mm-hmm. four separate times to refer to the church. Yeah, Jesus' early yeah. followers, followers of the way. Mm-hmm. And we have mostly replaced that with the modern day term Christians, yeah. right? So why. Or, or, or how would you define the difference between disciples and the way we use the word Christians today? Yeah, I mean, the word Christian is interesting. You know, a lot of people don't realize it's barely used in the New Testament. Two or three times, it's a negative word in the New Testament. So followers of Jesus did not self-identify as Christians. It was kind of a religious slur mm-hmm. from those who were hostile to the way of Jesus or the followers of the way of Jesus. And the word itself literally means something like, you know, mini Messiah or little Christ, but it's a it's a sarcastic term, like you want to be Jesus or something like that. And later on in church history, after the New Testament, followers of Jesus started to self-identify. They picked up this religious slur and said, yeah, we that's exactly who we want to be. We want to be little Christs. We want to be like Christ. And so there's a beautiful, the word itself, Christian, is a beautiful word. But over many centuries in the West, for a long time now, that is just simply not what the word means to most people. 
you know, the most, the pro pre predominant meaning, the most common meaning, I think in America at least, of the word Christian is just somebody who basically has a rough Judeo-Christian worldview or kind of mental map in their mind of God and some basic Christian doctrines, you know, goes to church occasionally and, you know, tries to be a good person. Or all good things, I'm for those things. Sure, but hence the... You know, all the stats and polls of the amount of people who identify as Christians in the U.S. And then you can't make sense of that when you hold up the lifestyle of most people. Yeah, completely. There's nothing like the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And and now, the last five-ish years, you have this huge shift where in more progressive cities and cultural contexts like you or I and where I think of, you know, I read the New York Times most days, the word Christian now has like political overtones. It even has racial overtones. So mm. for a lot of people, now they hear the word Christian, they think a white person who is a strong kind of Trumpian political viewpoint. And they're just not thinking of what Jesus means by <laughs> become my apprentice, mm -hmm. you know, or disciple. And whereas this word disciple is used 268 times in the New Testament. Which, so 268 versus 3. Which is exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so you're, you, you're picking up. And this word disciple has just all these beautiful overtones that the word Christian doesn't have. And it makes sense that the New Testament would just key in on this word. It is a, it is a document. It is a library written by disciples of Jesus for disciples of Jesus. And I think, you know, whenever you... This is, it's really hard to measure somebody's, like, spiritual devotion. But whenever attempts are made, like something around, even for all the talk about how America's post-Christian, something like 71% of Americans still self-identify as Christians. If you're in Portland or LA, it's hard to imagine that. But when yeah. you travel, you realize, oh, wow, there still is this strong vestige of Christendom, cultural Christianity. But then any attempt to like actually measure how many Americans, for example, are practicing the way of Jesus, are like discipling under or apprenticing under Jesus, most estimates come in right around 4%. Wow. So 71%, 4%. Like that right, that, that shows you much of the chasm that we have in kind of the wider culture. And so this word disciple, I think, is a great invitation to Jesus' invitation. You know, Willard, Dallas Willard, the philosopher that's played such a role in this book and practicing sure. the way the organization in yeah. my life. You know, he has this famous line that I quote whenever I teach on this, you know, the greatest issue facing the world today. And you could stop right there. Like, there's a lot Big of issues. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of issues facing the world today mm -hmm. is whether or not those who identify as Christians will become disciples, practitioners, students, followers of Jesus the mm -hmm. Christ. And so I think that's the call to many, I think, Americans or Westerners is to move from being a, quote, Christian in the kind of modern use of that parlance of that word to being a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. One other question about terminology to get us on the same playing field here. So you, a minute ago, used the word apprentice as synonymous to disciple. So yeah. why is that? Well, yeah, I mean, so the Greek word, as you know, is mathetes. Mm -hmm. And in Hebrew, it's this word, telmedim. And um, it can be translated, the word literally means, like if you're a Greek scholar and you're listening, the word literally means a learner. 
So it can be translated student. The problem is then we import like our Western model of education into that, where yeah. you know you like go to class three Purely days a week. Purely cognitive. And, yeah, you yeah. take you read books and you take a test. It's not that's not what it means. Um, it can be translated follower, you know, or disciple is actually a beautiful translation of it. It's just not a word we use a lot. And sometimes I think Christians mean different things by that word. That is not necessarily what Jesus means by that word. And so I just think the best word we have in the English language to convey the meaning of mathetes is this word apprentice. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about being an apprentice to a mechanic or a plumber or an artist or an architect, you are learning from a master, not just information, but you're learning how to become a type of person who can, with your master, like your master, one day do what your master does. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's the best word we have in the English language to capture what it is that Jesus is calling his followers to. Yeah, and that's what we see in the Gospels, right? And in, in our churches a lot, discipleship does look pretty... Western education system Very based, much. right? It's classroom learning style. It's information based. It's... But of course, in the Gospels, we see Jesus teaching his disciples, but we also see Jesus taking his disciples with him mm -hmm. to watch him do, to participate with him as he does. We see him sending out the 12 and the 72 to go out on their own and do what they've seen him do. Ultimately, Jesus commissions all of his followers and all of us to go and make disciples of our own. And so there, this is definitely a participatory style mm -hmm. of learning that is involves cognition, but involves it's embodied, our bodies. It's all, relational, yeah. it's practice-based, it's holistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the intro of your book, you make the argument that everyone is a disciple of something, <laughs> which I imagine in a culture where novelty is valued much more than imitation. Yes, some won't love that. No. So talk to me about that a little bit. That's not, that's not how to win friends and influence people. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we want, you know, the sociologist Robert Bella argues that radical individualism, and I think he coined that term, he and his team, hmm. is the, quote, defining trait of America. And America's built around this myth, and it really is a myth, of, like, the self-made man or the self-made woman, the... You know, and there's different versions of it. There's the Silicon Valley version of it. There's the, you know, indigenous person version of it. There's the rugged pioneer version of it. But it's this idea of like the self-made man, the self-made woman. And it just really is a myth. There are powerful forces, in particular in our wider culture, that want us to believe the myth because there's so much money to be made off of. If you don't believe that you're following anybody, then there's all, when the reality is we're all following somebody or something, yeah. there's so much money to be made. There are subscriptions and books to be sold, so much that can be done. Yeah. And so I don't mean that in a cynical way, just my conviction is, even though all of the cultural value, everybody wants to be a leader, not a follower, but the reality is none of us come into this world by ourselves. We're not self-made. It's not how the human body is wired by God, whether you come at it through the lens of Christian theology or modern neurobiology. It's just not who, not what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is absolutely imperative that we recapture this kind of holistic model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think to acknowledge that we're all apprenticing under some rabbi, Something. right? Something. 
is just to be really honest about the human condition. It is to say, I am not unaffected by my environment. Uh, I am not a true original in yeah. every sense of the word. Of course I'm affected. And I, the choice that I do have is to aim my attention and affection yeah, who in a follow. direction, right? What to follow. Yeah. Yes. So we're all going to aim the attention and affection of our lives in some direction, and whoever or whatever we aim it at will then shape us into its image. It will determine who we become. Yeah, and so to be a follower of Jesus is simply to say, I want to very intentionally aim my attention and my affection at Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. And by so doing, over time, be formed increasingly into his image. Yeah, I mean, the question is not, are you a disciple? It's who or what are you a disciple of? Mm -hmm. Whether it's Jesus or Goop or some tech guru, <laughs> Jack Dorsey, or some writer or Buddhism or modern neuroscience or trauma-informed therapy. Like, we're all disciples. Yeah, We're all, like, following something. We're investing the hope of the healing of our soul, of us becoming the kind of people we want to become and living the life that we want to live and discovering whether you want to call it happiness or peace or whatever, meaning we're all on the same quest. The question is like, what, what way, what path do you mm -hmm. follow? And who do, and really this is a question about who do you trust? Right. Because your, your rabbi is whoever, whatever. Your rabbi could be an ideology. It could be a celebrity. It could be a historical figure. It could be a religious figure. It could be Jesus. But really your rabbi is what source of wisdom and insight into the life that you most deeply desired are you going to trust? Yeah. So before we proceed, I think one other thing th that would be interesting for us to like a rabbit hole to go down a little <laughs> bit Gotta love is a rabbit hole. we have this gap that we've acknowledged between apprenticeship to Jesus and I identify as a Christian. Right. And what would you say is the cause of that gap? Hmm. Where has that come from? And therefore, what does it look like to try to close that gap? Yeah, I mean, there's likely not one cause of that. Mm -hmm. For sure, a driver in it, without getting too angsty, is the way, since at least about World War II, in the United States of America and in much of the West, the gospel of Jesus has been um, laid out in such a way that you could become a Christian without becoming a disciple of Jesus. Mm. You could become, you know, I believe in God, I'm going to heaven when I die, I have some faith, without devoting your life to apprentice under Jesus, without Jesus becoming the animating, like what the telos, just what you said, mm -hmm. what you aim your attention and your affection at. And this tragic kind of split where discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus has often been considered like an optional secondary track to what evangelicals would call conversion. Mm -hmm. So there's in this, you know, in this rubric, I don't think it's the right rubric, but it's a very popular one. There's this moment of where you convert to Christianity and you quote, get saved, language never used by Jesus, the New Testament writers, because they don't think about salvation solely in the past tense. Right. So you would not hear Paul say, I got saved on the road to Damascus. He just would not think that way because in his mind, salvation was way wider than that. Mm -hmm. So, but in this rubric, like there's a moment when you 
get saved, you convert, you become a Christian. And then if you want, the hope, of course, is that you then become a disciple of Jesus. But this split between what evangelicals would call evangelism and discipleship is just not in the life of Jesus. I mean, his invitation was, come and follow me. Come and become my disciple or my apprentice. And tragically, it's created this kind of two-tier church, the mm-hmm. 71%, 4%, where you have this large body of people that have some involvement in church or some Christian faith um, and identify as Christians, but they're not actually like apprenticing under Jesus. And it's not a better or worse. It's not like shame on those people or they're bad and the other people are good. Listen, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm painfully aware of my shadow and the ways that I am so far from what Christ has for me. But this gap has has done so much damage, so much of the disillusionment that people feel with the church, with the faith, is is in this breakdown here Mm -hmm. where discipleship is this optional secondary track rather than the animating center of everything. Yeah, it makes me think of in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the, um, is it Wormwood is the... The master demon? Yeah, uh, screw tape is. I was. Oh no, screw yes, tape. No, and screw then tape. wormwood is wormwood the student. Wormwood's the apprentice yeah. demon. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, there's one demon training another in the art of human deception, mm-hmm. and there's this one line where he's where someone converts, mm-hmm. and he says, "Oh, don't worry about it. This happens to a lot of people. All of their habits are still in our favor." Wow. And so essentially, like, it's okay if they have come to a different cognitive understanding if we still own the way that they're living. Their habitus, their life, their relational world, their animating center. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think it's interesting what you point out about maybe the minimization of salvation yeah. um, or this divorce between because, the I mean, Jesus if, truth and If you get salvation Jesus wrong, if you mm-hmm. get the gospel of Jesus wrong, then you get discipleship wrong or you just don't get it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I do that? Yeah, and, and I think we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like a conversion experience or a conversion moment is, is extremely important for many people. Mm-hmm. But it is meant to be the beginning of new life. The beginning of a journey. Yeah, yeah and, and that's the metaphor that the gospel author John uses for yeah. salvation or for the invitation of Jesus. He calls it life, you know, yeah. not being saved. And the born life. again or born from above, you know, it's like you're literally beginning a whole new life cycle of becoming a whole new person over decades and decades. My name is Ed Hintz. I am a husband, father of three, and an empty nester living in Raleigh, North Carolina. Practicing the way impacted my life by completely changing how I view discipleship. Before, I thought discipleship to Jesus was for, well, people like the disciples, the best of the best, the most dedicated who leave their careers and families to pursue discipleship to Jesus. For the rest of us, it was about having the right beliefs and being a good person. Practicing the way taught me that Jesus called all of us to be disciples. I realized I was under pursuing Christ and missing out on a deeper relationship with him. Through practicing the way, I learned and focused on the three parts of being a disciple. 
be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what Jesus did. The podcast gave great example practices for each of these. One particular practice for doing what Jesus did was about sharing a meal with strangers, unbelievers, and people very different from yourself. Although this is something outside of my comfort zone, I wanted to try it. It would end up impacting a vacation in an unexpected way. See, last April, my wife Missy and I went on a vacation for our anniversary. The first leg of the trip was three days in downtown Austin, Texas. She asked me, what two things do you want to make sure we do there? I said, eat Texas barbecue and listen to live blues music. Finding Texas barbecue was easy. However, finding the blues music in an appropriate venue was not working out for a number of reasons. On the last day of our stay in Austin, our last best chance of live blues music fell through. I sat on our hotel balcony and stared out at the streets of Austin disappointed. As I stared, I saw a homeless man laying on the ground next to a park bench. I remembered seeing him earlier in the day. I prayed for him and it came to me that we should ask him to dinner. I was not sure if Missy would want to do this on our vacation, but I asked anyway. She smiled as she had noticed Amanda earlier as well, and she was all for it. We went outside, introduced ourselves, and learned his name was Wes. We invited Wes to dinner. Surprised, Wes said some people give him food, but no one had ever asked to eat with him before. We went for some Tex-Mex, sat outside, and enjoyed an early spring Austin evening. We shared a meal, our individual stories, and our faith. When he finished, he asked if he could thank us by playing a couple of the songs he wrote on his guitar. As he played and sang two soulful songs that described some of his history of hurt, I realized I found that great live blues music after all, by doing what Jesus did. So let's talk about that life cycle. So an apprentice to Jesus, how would you define apprenticeship to Jesus? What does it look like? I mean, the rubric that you and I both use is a very simple one. Uh, an apprentice or a disciple or a follower of Jesus is anyone who has organized their life around three driving basic goals. Number one, to be with Jesus. Number two, to become like Jesus. And number three, to do as he did. Mm -hmm. And that's just basically an interpretation of first century discipleship. And a lot of modern Christians don't realize Jesus did not invent discipleship. It was like woven into the first century kind of Hebrew world. It was a part of their educational system, kind of like grad school would be today or a doctoral fellowship would be today. It was the upper echelon. It was the heights of Jewish education. It was really hard to get into, which is why Jesus' invitation is radical because he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, that'd be like, you know, the president of Harvard saying, whoever wants to go to Harvard on a free ride scholarship, just email me tomorrow. It was just unheard of, you know? And, um, but it was woven into this world and that's what it meant to follow a rabbi. And Jesus was not the only rabbi with apprentices. 
it meant that you would literally leave your home, your family, your village. You would go walk behind him. Like mm -hmm. following your rabbi was not a word picture. It was very literal. You would walk behind your rabbi 24-7, and your goal was to be with him. It was to become like him, to imitate his every move. This is not a radical individualism society. You want to become like your rabbi. And then eventually you're training to become a rabbi yourself, to go out and carry on your rabbi's work. And when he was done, when he thought you were kind of through your apprenticeship program after a few years, he would likely turn to you and say something like, okay, Tyler, like, I think you're ready. We've been together. Now you go and make disciples. And so this is the paradigm that Jesus picked up for the formation of human souls. And so, yeah, that's for me, that's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. It means the organizing center of your life is three goals. I want to be with Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. And I want to do as he did. And we'll have a lot of time to get more into to that as the episodes yes, unfold. future episodes. Yeah, so right now, what I want to dig into is the organizing center of your life. All of this is language of intentionality. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is this is a call to the church. Yeah. Like Willard's language for Christians to, to become, become disciples. disciples yeah. To become intentional about orienting the whole of your life around apprenticing under Jesus. Yeah. So... I imagine some might bristle or lack understanding of what does it mean to become intentional about that? Yeah. And should we fear that this is all beginning to sound a little bit like works righteousness? Mm. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say is your life is already organized around something. It mm -hmm. just may not be Jesus. It may be your career. And trust me, like the careerism of Western culture is thousand times more legalistic than anything Jesus has on offer. It may be health and wellness or physical fitness. It may be the arts. It may be pleasure. It may be food. It may be addiction. It may be your family. Like your life is already, your life has a center. Every life has a center. The question is not, do you have an animating center? It's what or who is it? Hmm. And is it giving you life? And is it forming you into the kind of person that you most deeply desire to become? And I just think that all other desires we have to do well in work, to have meaningful relationships, maybe to have a thriving family, to be well, all of these other desires only find their rightful place under our deepest desire, which I've, I've this language of be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do as he did. What, what are the driving, the deepest human desires? Let's just set aside Christian or not, to follower of yeah. Jesus or not, just human being wherever you come from. I mean, ultimately, I think, one, we desire what we Christians would call union with God. We desire God. Mm -hmm. We desire a deep experience of love that is transcendent, that is so far beyond us, that people are searching for in nature or mindfulness meditation Completely. or new psychedelics. But ultimately, or, or human companionship, or human companionship, yeah. romance. I mean, so much of the modern Western romance obsession is—it's really a, the sexual obsession. It's an—it's ultimately it's a craving for union, for intimacy, Absolutely. for love, for acceptance, to be not one but to be intertwined with another. Like it's ultimately a desire for God. Yeah, I mean I, that's the first desire yes. that we see in an infant, right? 
and the desire that never goes away. Yeah, what's the, what's that the, carry forever. the psychiatrist Kurt Thompson? We are born looking for someone, looking for us yes. in love. Yes. Like we're, I mean, the attachment system, we're wired. Mm -hmm. We come out of the womb looking around, will somebody look at me and love me? Yes. And no matter how wonderful our mother and or father may be. And we never stop looking. We never stop looking. Right. And no human being ever touches that deep ache. Not the best mother, not the best father, not the best lover, not the best. It's, there's always something deeper. Yes. And as those that follow God know, and I, I have no, I don't even have clumsy language for it. I'm not even that far yet. But there's this bizarre paradox where you always want more of God, mm -hmm. and yet you're never more satisfied by anything other than God. So you're never satisfied, and you're never more satisfied at the same time. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I would say my experiences that I have felt most without want, like most content, yes. most joy. Yes. You know, that like not, not pleasure, not delivered through some medium of entertainment or indulgence or anything, but just pure joy have been moments of intimate union with God. Yeah. Like moments of encounter with him, solo, quietly by myself, or in a loud or worship deep, gathering yeah. or whatever. Or in deep relationships where yeah, we experience like God. like sitting at a dinner table mm -hmm. where the conversation reaches a place of depth and substance where it's like touching the deep mm -hmm. soul place in everyone. But those are the moments when I feel most like I don't need anything else. Yeah, I feel as full as I've ever felt. And yet I want more of this always. Yes. Right? It's like a sunrise or a sunset. Like you're so thrilled to be there and you're always wanted to not stop you <laughs> exactly <know? laughs> it's that beautiful feeling you know and, and i think that's be with jesus that right. that's the the first we all want this mm -hmm. the second goal become like jesus we we deeply desire everybody would use different language but i think i don't think there's a human being that doesn't at some level desire to become pervaded by love and goodness i just think when I mean, you go to a funeral like this is so telling like at a funeral you know, David Brooks has the whole idea of resume virtues virtues versus yeah. eulogy virtues. Yeah. The kind of things that we talk about in life and self-identify with life and brag about in life are not the kind of things that people talk about or we want people to talk about at our funeral. Right. And it's all character. It's all who they became. It's basically relationships and the measure of love in those relationships. Mm -hmm. That At the end of our sojourn on earth, that, and I, I think, Often that desire is suppressed, it's abused, it's it's ruined, but I think we have come into this world with a latent, what I would call latent desire for sainthood, a mm -hmm. desire to become deeply pervaded by love and goodness and set free from all of our fears and attachments and broken attachments and addictions and compulsions that constantly sabotage our heart's earnest desire to be full of love and goodness. And, and this is what makes imitation not, uh, like, like actually a beautiful thing and an honest thing is that throughout history, a lot of people have looked at those in the second half of life or, or looked at the end of life and aimed at like who I want to be mm -hmm. as an old man or woman. 
and we live in a culture obsessed with youth. With the first half of life. Right, trying to hold on to the first half so of life. So our heroes are like possible. 40 year old billionaires and it doesn't go yeah. beyond that. Yeah, exactly. And and so we're cl- we're clutching the first half of life in every way you can mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. Appearance, lifestyle, you know, success, exactly. fame, wealth, beauty, popularity. Right. So we're we're grabbing for resume virtues, mm-hmm. right? And to aim our life in imitation of Jesus or that latent desire for sainthood as you're describing it is simply to be honest about the fact that I want to look at my life from the end I want to arrive at back. I want to know the destination of this journey because every successful journey begins by naming the destination, right? Knowing where you're going. And, And so when we say, I want to become like Jesus, we're saying start with the end in mind. Yeah, I want to be someone that lives for what will matter most at the end on this present day that I'm living today. Mm-hmm. I want to live for love and relationship and those things that are truly lasting today, but I also know that I have all these other desires in me like yeah. success and career and whatever it may be, comfort and so this is going to require both resisting Mm-hmm. and intentionally directing my desires. Say no to some desires mm-hmm. in order to say yes to my deepest desire. Yeah, there's one author, I, I wish I could remember who it is right now, but s- talks about desire, and he says that the whole of human life is to identify deep longing and then be trained by that longing. Wow, so, what uh, beautiful So allow my, train mm-hmm. myself today by the deepest longing. It's not about desire suppression. It's about like getting in touch with the deepest desire, the base of the soul. Right, so we've got be, become. And then, yeah, the third goal, do as he did. I, I think the other great ache of the human heart is to make people would use different language. You know, Steve Jobs' famous language, (laughs) make a dent in the universe. Mm -hmm. To leave the world better than we found it is very common and popularized Mm -hmm. language. I think at the end of the day, nobody just wants to be a carbon footprint. You know, nobody just wants to be, or a consumer, or a, you know, a, a profile on social media. We want to matter, we want to, and there's, a, there's an unhealthy aspect of that where we look for validation from external accomplishment or accumulation. But I think there's a healthy Genesis 1, Imago Dei image of God made to rule over the creation. We're not just made for this disembodied kind of transcendent state, we're made like to, to make the world better, mm-hmm. you know, to take this incredible, beautiful world that we were born into created by God and to rearrange it into an Eden-like beautiful place for human beings to thrive in relationship with God, themselves, and each other. And so, again, Christian or not, follower of Jesus or not, I think most people have a deep desire not to just get more stuff and have great sex and, you know, eat pizza on a Friday night, Mm -hmm. but to, to really contribute to the goodness of the world. And I think that all of these desires, whether you you want to call them union or goodness and love or contribute, whatever you want to call them, or be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do his, I think they are, the ultimate fulfillment is all in Jesus. And it does sound like a steep price to pay because it is. But what I would say is you're already paying that price. Right. You just may be paying it to your corporate employer or to your 401k or to your body or to, you know, hookup culture or to like you're already paying the price and you're likely paying it 
to something that is not going to reap the dividends. I mean, Jesus had that crazy line where, you know, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must, he said, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And it's like a, the opposite of PR. You know, it's yeah. like the opposite of a sales pitch to become his apprentice. But then he has that stunning line for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel will save it. I'm always struck by how that's not a command, it's a statement of reality. Hmm. So he's not saying you shouldn't lose right. your life, you, should, you shouldn't save your life, you should save it. He's just saying if whoever wants to do this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And I think almost all of us do exactly what he said. We try to save our life, meaning we put all of our best energies, our time, our money, our resources, our heart, our attention, our desire into trying to save our life, control our life, make it the good as we possibly can, get it under our control, get it exactly how we want it, like avoid pain, avoid suffering, be happy, and it almost never works. The, in fact, it slips through our fingers. Nobody sets out in life to be a failure. Mm. It just happens all of the time. Yeah. And so the invitation of Jesus is to stop trying to save your life, to lose it. And the great paradox of Christian spirituality is it's in losing your life that you find it. It's in dying to yourself that you discover your true self. Mm -hmm. It's in letting go of I'm going to control my life that you actually become the person that you most deeply desire to become. And I just believe it is ultimately found in the animating center of Jesus. And it does require a, a, a surrender, a devotion, and intentionality. You know, there are, uh, the backup title for this book was, uh, I wanted to title it, There Are No Accidental Saints. Hmm. And uh, that got shut down for some reasons, apparently. You're not supposed to have the word no in a title. <laughs> but my point there is just like, transformation is possible, but it's not inevitable. Mm -hmm. It will require you to rearrange your life around Jesus as your rabbi, your center, and to devote your whole hearts to aim, as you said, your heart's attention and affection, being with him, becoming like him, and doing as he did. And I just think that that's how you discover life. Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded nonprofit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Aaron from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I'm a part of this community. And I support Practicing the Way because it has given an entirely new generation the opportunity to understand what following Jesus looks like when it is embodied, and this is priceless. To join myself and others in the circle, or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash give. Thanks for listening to Season 1 of the Practicing the Way podcast. This conversation was based on John Mark's newest book, Practicing the Way, Be With Jesus, Become Like Jesus, Do As He Did, which is available now wherever books are sold. This podcast was created by Practicing the Way, a nonprofit working to integrate the best learnings of spiritual formation into the church at large. We offer a library of free resources for churches and small groups, including practices four-week experiences designed to be run in community that train you to integrate ancient disciplines like Sabbath, prayer, and more into your everyday life with God. An upcoming Practicing the Way course, an eight-week primer on apprenticeship to Jesus. 
a digital tool called the Rule of Life Builder, podcasts, and more. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit, and all of these resources are completely free, thanks to the generosity of The Circle and other givers from around the world. To join The Circle, run a practice, or learn more, visit practicingtheway.org.